he started making this game, this prototype. It was just, just for fun. And very often he would ask some of the friends from the industry to help out a bit. Sometimes it would be, you know, someone uh, dropping by with a beer and <laughs> uh, helping with some problem, you know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Hey, this is Sarah. Hey, this is Eve. And we are Open Indie, a podcast talking about and with indie developers all across Europe. We discover your stories and talk about indie games, meaning games that aren't AAA like um, Call of Duty or Far Cry. Indie games are rather small, but often very creative and really something special. In today's episode, we're going to Poland, the country where AAA titles like Cyberpunk and The Witcher come from. But Poland is also home to many indie studios creating games like our today's guest, Rock Square Thunder. This is a relatively new studio currently developing the puzzle platformer named The Lightbringer. We talked to Janusz Tarczykowski, who explained to us what the game is about and if the Polish government is supporting their development studio. We start off with uh, two questions, which are always the same. Everybody on our show is getting these, so it's sort of a warm-up. Um, and question one is, what was the first game you've ever played? Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> it was definitely on uh, Pegasus, which was a, a ripoff of NES, no? And could have been actually Mario. Super Mario Bros. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see the influence in in the Lightbringer, you know. Ah, yeah. Th there is some. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. And what was the last game you've played through completely, like from start to finish? I have to admit that I rarely finish games, you know, <laughs> because I just play so many games, you know, and uh, usually I get into a next game before I finish the last one, and sometimes they are pretty long. Mm -hmm. So it might have been uh, Dark Souls 3, actually. Ooh. It's not such a new game, but those games I always finish, the Dark Souls series. Yes, they're, uh, they're my favorite, to be honest. Um, oh, great, yeah. Mine as well. Yeah, every time I see something of Dark Souls on YouTube, I immediately uh, want to play this game again. Um, <laughs> it's so fascinating. Uh, I don't know, I could play it all over again. Normally, I don't play games like twice. Like if I finish them once, then that's fine with me. With Dark Souls, I could just start immediately and uh, finish the whole game again. Yeah, I understand. Like for me, Dark Souls and Total War series are just games that I can spend countless hours on. Yeah, they're really fascinating. Yeah, true. <laughs> But um, your game, The Lightbringer, which you are developing at the moment, um, I don't know. There, I don't think there are similarities with Dark Souls, are there? Well, no, there aren't. Although at some points we did try to make our combat a bit Dark Soulsy. Okay. You know, back when actually we had at the beginning we didn't have the boomerang that we have right now <laughs> as your weapon, but we actually had a, a sword and a crossbow. Uh, so then we, we had one try when we said, okay, you know, let's just make this combat tactical, a bit like Dark Souls, you know. But suddenly, you know, we, we failed at making it really good. So we're like, okay, scrap that next approach. And I think we've iterated like four different approaches to combat before we 
said, okay, this is the one. Yeah, I see. So uh, the Lightbringer, um, the game you're currently developing is like um, a puzzle platformer and uh, adventure game. And it has no release date yet, right? Yes, exactly. But still, do you have a goal when you want to release it? Yeah, definitely this year. I, I, I hope I can say that, you know, before, <laughs> because we all, of course, we already have like in our minds, we have a, you know, inside release date that we, we are aiming for, but we are not, you know, saying anything yet because we don't want to then be like, oh, you know, we didn't make it on time. You know, we, we have to uh, move it. You know, we just want to be sure that we'll make it on time. Sure. The Lightbringer, what is it about? Yeah, so like uh, our story is, uh, in, is like poet, very poetic. So it's written in verse. To restore harmony, one needs a tool. Ancient, powerful, created to rule. Imbued with power and lore of the light, will bestow upon you the ancient might. We have like strong metaphors about uh, global warming and uh, human greed kind of destroying the environment. So you're playing, you know, as a as a boy. So the world before the start of the game, uh, there used to be like, you know, a whole civilization, thriving world. And people were just extracting so many resources from the world, from the land, that at a certain point, the slime, what you call the slime or the corruption, came from underground and uh, so it started taking over the cities, taking over the world, and uh, humanity has like one last bastion, one last city where they live. And your task as the light bringer is to actually defeat this corruption and bring the light back. So it's uh, very about um, about the balance, you know, the light and the darkness, about you know not being too greedy as uh, as a species, you know, and uh, showing that if we you know, continue on the path that we uh, might be as humanity right now, you know, there might be consequences. But it's not like directly, we're not saying any of, of this stuff. It's more like, you know, hidden in the metaphors. Yeah. And uh, you also said, um, yeah, there's this in-game voice, um, like the, the character himself, he doesn't speak, um, but you were hearing this voice from your sister? Yeah, ex exactly. And she's, she speaks in verse. And why did you choose uh, to do that? Like, uh, why did you want to tell the story this way? Yeah, so we always uh, had this idea that uh, we are not like super special one, you know, magical being that has to be Diwa, right? Mm -hmm. That someone before us tried the same. So we are just another brave soul to try, you know, we're not like, what we do is not because we are special, but because we have courage to do so. So we had this idea for, for someone who did this before us and we wanted to, to be someone close to the, to the character. So we chose to have a sister and, you know, to have the sister not being uh, someone you have to rescue, you know, mm -hmm. not doing the same trope again, <laughs> but someone who actually was a, a courageous and capable fighter as well and who tried to do what you are attempting now. So it also raises the stakes because your bigger sister failed, which means that it's, it has to be really dangerous, has to be really tough to complete your mission, right? And as, as for the, you know, for the verse, it was actually, it's a, it's a funny story because at first it was not written in verse, it was written in prose, but then we were joined by a really 
talented uh, narrative designer uh, who was entrusted with you know improving our uh, storytelling and he was like you know, he just written uh, his ideas in verse and we're like wow you know this is it this is just amazing i wouldn't be able to write the story in verse but christian our you know narrative designer he is just amazing you know he just uh, did something incredible i think it adds also a mysterious vibe to the game yeah that's true you know and i think it's it's the best part of uh, indie game development you know you have talented people who you know meet who, who joined force join forces and they can do so many things so many interesting things you know so you can be more creative or something yeah exactly you know you have more also more space to do different stuff than when you're working in AAA or bigger companies you know yeah so you can try out more yeah, exactly. and stuff like that And the gameplay of the Lightbringer, it's uh, something like an old school platformer, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that was, there were a lot of inspirations that, you know, when we started. Of course, the, the obvious ones are like games like, you know, Mario series. The first game you've ever played. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> But we never had like one game that we are based on, you know. So there was something like, okay, we are making a clone of Mario or something. A lot of games are played as, as children. They came together in kind of a soup of <laughs> inspirations. So there's a platformer, there's uh, strong puzzle elements, and uh, there's combat as well, combat like in adventure games. So yeah, and of course there's narrative. You know, there's a, there's a story very prominent. But I think the core the core is uh, platforming, very old school platforming. So it's definitely reminds of older Mario games or, or like Crash Bandicoot games, you know. Yeah. From our three three like co-founders, we are all uh, big Nintendo fans, you know. Lucas and Arthur, my other you know founder co-founders, they are even bigger Nintendo freaks than me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely shows in you know in what we just have in our hearts when we design games, you know. How did you come up with the game? It all started with our. Uh, 3D artist Lucas, you know, one of the co-founders. He started making this game as just a way to learn programming and uh, other kind of because he used to work as a 3D artist, but he was a bit tired of doing only assets for the games. He wanted to like be more than just a, a asset guy, you know. So he wanted to learn, you know, programming and different. Uh, sides of making the games. So he started learning in Unity, in Playmaker, doing prototypes of, of you know, of the game. And at, at first it was very different, of course, than what it is now. And he's been making this prototype for a long time, like after hours, you know, it wasn't like he, he hadn't had like a plan to release it soon or something like this, you know, it was just, just for fun. And very often he would be like, ask, some of the friends from the industry to help out a bit for example you know to help him with level design to help him with some scripts you know mm -hmm. so the game would grow sometimes it would be you know someone uh, dropping by with a beer and uh, <laughs> helping with some problem you know <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah so it continued like this for for a few years and at certain time he was like you know what i want to actually finish this project i want to make a demo and you know release it in some way so his first idea was actually to make it as a mobile game okay and uh, so he together with you know our two our other co-founder level designer and one programmer who wasn't me back then but it was like our friend 
David Buyak from uh, from Flying Wild Hog. They started making this prototype, you know, and they, you know, after after some time, they actually had like, I think there was like a three or so levels finished. Yeah, and they said, okay, you know, this is this is now more or less finished. We can try releasing it somehow, but at the same time, they kind of were haven't you know had idea about how to how to do it, you know, how to release the game, how to <laughs> find maybe someone who who wants to take it over or like, you know, be a publisher or something like this. So it was it was on the freezer for some time. It was finished, but nothing was happening with it. Yeah. And then, you know, one other friend from from the industry who was like, oh, you know, I've played your game and it's so fun. You know, I want to, you should uh, pitch it to the publishers, you know. And he actually had a Switch dev kit and he prepared a Switch build. And it, he was like, you know, this game runs perfectly on Switch, you know, and it's a perfect console for that you know you should make this game for switch yeah and and he actually like showed it to one of the publishers in krakow who became interested you know and uh, the publisher was like yeah this game looks interesting you know maybe we would want to to release it to publish it and since i was close with those guys and i had experience working with publishers doing a bit of more like a business side because uh I used to, you know, working for a big, bigger, bigger companies, but I used to do this kind of stuff. So uh, they were, they asked me like, okay, you know, would you like to come with us? Because we are, you know, we don't know how to uh, do this sort of negotiations, talks, etc. So we came like three of us. Uh, we went to on the, to the meeting with this publisher, and they were like interested. So we were like, wow, yeah, let's, you know, let's start a company. Let's let's make a game. <laughs> and I quit my. You know, I quit my current job uh, back then, mm-hmm. which I already wanted to do. I was already planning to even to move from Krakow to to the seaside. And I was like, yeah, so, so let's do it. But then those talks kind of were taking a long time, you know. Okay. So the publisher was interested, but it was taking a lot of time before they sent any contract. And I was, I, I'm like a proactive guy, you know, I never like to wait. Yeah, I hate that mm. as well. Yeah. So I was like, you know, you know what, what, should, what we should do? We should try pitching this game to other publishers as well. So I made a pitch and I, you know, I joined some events and I started pitching it to other publishers, talking with other publishers. And it's and of course it took, you know, it took a few months before we actually had any anything. But uh, before that first Polish publisher finished their kind of process, we already you know, we already found Zordix and we already were in talks with them and very close to signing a deal with them. And actually, I enjoyed, I would say, like, I felt that they were much more professional and I felt that they were a better match. So you ditched your first publisher. <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. it was, uh, if, if they actually moved faster and they, they really wanted, you know, to sign this game and made, you know, faster moves, then probably it would be a very different story, right? But Yeah. <laughs> That's... Sure, but if they don't get a move on, then yeah, I totally understand. So you um, only started the company when you had, a, a, yeah, when you talked to the publisher. You didn't have a company before that. No, and I like, I wouldn't recommend for any indie uh, team to start a company before they actually have to, because there's no point. Okay. So I would, I would say, you know, first uh, get a deal, and when you are close to getting a deal. And you are required because when you're actually signing the deal, then you should have a 
a company already, you know, you should you should be incorporated. But before that, you know, don't don't do it. Just you know, just be few guys <laughs> and gar- or girls, you know. But for you, it worked. Yeah, it worked worked perfectly. Yeah, cool. And well, you said uh, your uh, your friend he um, yeah he started uh, developing the game. Uh, when did he start? So what what's the time range? I think it was like the first time I've seen this project was 2015. Okay, so almost six years ago, you know. Back then, of course, it was just him playing around with uh, how to make any game. <laughs> it was a very very different game, even the. Actually, the demo that we showed to the publishers that got us a deal, that was a very different game. How was it different? The visual style was was very different. It was much simpler because uh, the idea for, from Lucas was to release it on mobile, right? So it had to be simpler. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a simpler game, smaller. The, the biggest difference was that the levels were very tiny. They were like dioramas. But, and it was something that we actually wanted at first to do. But some things just happen organically when you're making a game, you know? You're starting testing the levels, testing the ideas, and you see, okay, this works better than that stuff. And of course, with the visual style, when you have more time, when you have like a you know year or so or more to release a game, the visual style keeps improving, you know, for the first, at least like first year, you know? Usually when you're making a game, you have like few stages. So you have like pre-production where you're basically you know, iterating on the gameplay, on the visual style, everything. And only after you are really like, okay, you know, we have a piece of the game, which is great, which we love. Then you are moving to production, right? Full production. So mm-hmm. then you are just finishing uh, new content usually. But of course, since we are kind of free creative guys, we were free, no, we are 10, but <laughs> we are creative uh, guys who love making games, even when we already shouldn't have probably changed things we're like you know okay i have this this is very tough you know i have this amazing idea that will improve the game should we try it or should we should we just focus on what we were doing it's a very tough balance to to strike so like um, you always have to keep the balance of um, just focus on the things you already have and putting in new stuff right yeah yeah but sometimes you have something that improves the game so much that you are like okay Maybe we should spend extra month doing this. So it's a, it's of course a very tough question. You have to very think about, you know, what are your schedules, what is your production timeline, budget, and everything, and you have to make this decision. You know, uh, the decision might be different for each case. And um, how would you say is the developing, uh, the development going so far? Yeah, I think it's going very well. You know, okay, I, uh, especially that now that we are. We have grown to 10 people and our team is amazing. You know, I'm just so shocked that we've managed to find such cool and creative people for the team. Cool. So what we had at the beginning of the year, after year of production, just three of us, you know, and what we have now has, is just, you know, the difference is amazing. And we are slowly finishing, you know, we are in the stage where we are not making too many new things, like new many like features for the game. We're mostly finishing content, improving the feel of the game, uh, etc. So we are slowly coming towards the end. And we're making one final boss fight that is going to be amazing, I hope. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's much, it's much more ambitious uh, than the previous ones, you know. Okay, cool. 
what would you say didn't work quite as well during the development phase? Yeah, the first thing that that haven't didn't work so well was uh, actually the dioramas, right? The original concept for the game was each level was a diorama, but somehow organically each level get bigger and bigger. And right now, some of the levels are like mini open worlds, you know. <laughs> so maybe uh, keeping the size of the game in check sometimes failed. Yeah. Uh, we dis also discovered that the combat is really, really hard to make. So like I said, we have spent a lot of time iterating different combat approaches, you know. What is so difficult about uh, combat? It's very important to get a feel right. And at the same time, to get, a, for example, melee combat, which is fun, you have to have a lot of animations. And we were you know, three guys and none of us was an animator. Mm -hmm. So. Our 3D artists could do some simple animations, but to actually make this combat fun, we just realized, okay, we created this, these enemies, but they are too complex to do all the animations for the combat, to do the AI for this combat. So to make a, a game within our uh, means when we are just free, you know, it was very, very tough. It was very tough to make a combat that we knew we can make in time. Okay. That will be fun. And we are perfectionists, <laughs> so we're like, we're not, we don't settle for, okay, this is like, okay, so let's leave it. We were like, no, we have, have to be great, you know. But that's good. Um, that's important. It's it's good for, for the game, probably. But at the same time, it's it's not that good for making it on time, if you know what I mean. Like, sometimes, the, sometimes it's probably a better idea to maybe do something that is maybe not perfect, but at least on time. So that was also one of the struggles that we have, like, okay, you know, this is okay. Should we leave it like this or should we iterate even more, you know, spend more time on it? Okay. So, um, I don't know, like I would say, well, can you take more time or do you definitely want to finish this game this year? Yeah, I think we want to finish this game, the game this year. And okay. Like I said, right now we are in this in this phase where we are not making big changes. Okay. And of course, for any game, you can take additional year and polish everything, you know, to hell. But pretty much there is never, like with art, you know, there is never, it's never finished. We can only say, okay, let's stop, let's finish this game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. Sometimes you just need to say, okay, it's done, just get it out of there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, I saw on Steam that you're also writing a dev diary about the uh, process of developing a game. And um, yeah, I I had the feeling there's a lot you have to keep in mind, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You know, I have I have worked in the industry for some time, you know, sometimes on smaller teams, sometimes on uh, teams as big as, you know, like uh, over a hundred. Yeah. And I have even worked, you know, as a, in the company that does outsourcing for AAA studios you know, working on AAA games. So I've seen very different approaches to the production, different approaches to how you make the games, you know? So my dev diary is is mostly about, you know, the agile, the agile development, because the IT industry has already adopted the agile very widely, but in the games industry, uh, very often we are still working in the old school waterfall ways when you try to plan the whole production at the beginning and then you think okay you know we have this amazing plan now let's just uh, do everything according to this plan you know 
but you cannot really plan uh, three years of development, you know, it's impossible. Okay. And with the agile mindset, you are more like, okay, you know, you are, you of course have some goals for what you want to make, but you have uh, much like shorter iteration times, you know, you know that things will not go perfectly according to the plan, you know, so you have to constantly uh, like, you know, improve, but you also have to constantly have a actual product. Yeah. The mistake that some developers make is to like, you know, okay, we are making something, you can't see it yet, but in two years, you will, it will all come together perfectly, you know? And with Agile, you're more like, okay, you have to get to the minimum viable product as soon as possible, and then iterate on that, add on that, you know? You cannot, you cannot hope that it will just magically uh, come together at the last moment of the development. So um, would you say that there are still many people in the gaming industry who only work according to this plan and don't want to change anything? Yeah, I think I think a bit. There are, there are very often the, the problem is that there is like a one person who thinks that they know perfectly what ha what's good for the game, right? Okay. And they okay, I have this vision. We have to we have to make it. And then you know the team spends a year working on that, but then the vision changes and it was like, oh, I have a new idea for the, for the story. We, let's just scrap everything and may, remake it from, from the beginning. Right. Okay. <laughs> and of course, maybe sometimes it works, you know, maybe, especially when you're someone like Hideo Kojima, right? Yeah. <laughs> or someone <laughs> like a, an amazing developer that you just, you, you are right. But at the same time, it's very hard to trust this and very often the team also doesn't know what they are doing, you know, mm -hmm. very important idea in the agile mindset is that uh, you're giving more ownership to the team. Ah, okay. So you're making like a smaller, smaller teams inside the team and you are trying to, you're trying to make the, the team like feel like they're actually making this game, that they are a big part of the development and not just, you know, a cog in the machine making a vision of one guy somewhere on the top. I see. Okay. Yeah, but that's much better because the guy who's at the top might not really know the game or um, the, the the actual steps of it or something. Um, it's better to leave it to the creators to create it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the same time, of course, it's very tough. You know, it's very hard to, uh, especially for the bigger teams, you know, when you have a team of like 300 people or 500 people, you know, of course, the making it you know, uh, in an agile way and uh, giving more ownership to the to the team is actually very hard. So, of course, I'm not saying like, okay, you know, this is just so easy. Let, let's just do it this way, you know? Yeah. It takes a lot of knowledge. It takes a lot of you know, figuring out as well, you know, what is the perfect process for the specific company. Okay. So it's, it's a very tough challenge that uh, smarter people than me have been, you know, uh, figuring out for, for a long time. But yeah, I think like for me, one of the biggest inspirations for, for what I do with the Agile is uh, Agile Game Development by Clinton Keefe. I can recommend, recommend it to anyone. Like Clinton Keefe has a lot of experience making big games, smaller games in, you know, using Agile. It's actually, you know, uh, real-world experience making great games. And okay. He's describing what I'm trying to describe in my <laughs> in my way. So would you also say that a mixture is the, the best way? Like, uh, of course, a bit of planning, but also 
um, giving the team some freedom? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you can't not plan anything. You also can't plan ev plan everything. <laughs> so definitely, a balance is uh, is needed. You know. You already said that you before um, you started your company, uh, Rock Square Thunder, um, that you were already working a few years in the gaming industry for other companies. Um, when did you start? I had started in 2014, fresh out of you know university. <laughs> <laughs> What did you study? I have studied uh, computer science. Mm -hmm. mm. So it was, it was always my dream to make games, you know. So like last month of my uni, I just, you know, found some, uh, find a website where they, you know, it was specifically for game development jobs. And I have sent one CV and I was like, no, I'm probably not gonna, you know, uh, get a job there, right? And to my surprise, I got the job. I got the job in, in Bluebird team wow. in Krakow. So I, so I moved to Krakow and I started my, you know, industry experience, you know. <laughs> cool. What did you do there? Yeah, I've worked uh, as an AI programmer and gameplay programmer as well. Cool. What what games did you work on? I've worked, for example, on games like Brawl, Layers of Fear, uh, The Observer. Wow. And it's where I've met uh, Wukash and Arthur, like, like the co-founders, you know. We have all met in Bluebird team ah. in 2014. Then you guys known each other a long time. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So even after I left Bluebird, they, I've kept contact with them because they have worked there until we launched Rockstar Thunder. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, why did you change uh, jobs? Yeah, it was a lot, of, a lot of, you know things i was a bit frustrated by some things in bluebird okay i also wanted to try i've moved to norway ah. to oslo to work on an interesting project so there was a lot of kind of uh, things going on okay then um together with your colleagues you founded uh, rock square thunder uh, who came up with the name <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's always the question you know it was actually a long process we, we like were like okay you know How do we call the company? And we throw the ideas around. So it was one of the dozen dozens of ideas. But yeah, so the general concept was to you know find the, something that that get, gets this idea of three creative forces coming together to make something unique. You know, so why there are, there are three components to Rock Square Thunder, right? <laughs> and there's also a bit of a play on words on rock, paper, scissors, you know. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Um, so you are the CEO of Rock Square Thunder. What are your tasks exactly at the moment? Um, are you also writing code or only writing emails? <laughs> yeah, for the first year when there were three of us, I was writing all the code for the game. Okay. And also, you know, running the business. So, uh, you know, making sure we all have salaries on our <laughs> accounts each month, making sure like talk, talking with the publishers, talking with, you know, possible investors, uh, with a new accountant company who was running our, uh, you know, our account. So pretty much doing all those like tiny jobs as well, apart from writing code. Okay. But these days, you know, after we have grown to 10, I definitely spend more time on managing the team than writing code. So, uh, so I don't, I, I've rarely, I rarely write code directly, but I very often work with the team to, you know, help them out and guide them. Yeah. That's also important. Sure. And definitely there's more business side as well, because, uh, the reason we have grown is because we have managed to secure an investor 
in our company. Yeah. So of course it comes with some extra work as well, you know. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of support, um, you already said that um, you have this publisher uh, who's supporting you. Is it a Swedish publisher actually? Yeah, the, the publisher is Zordix Publishing. They are from Sweden. And, you know, I'm, it's like, I'm really grateful for them to believe believing in our game, you know. So I have to give, you know, a shout out to uh, Axel Danielsson, the head of the publishing. He, because he believed in our game, you know. And cool. It was, it was an amazing feeling to, you know, have a publisher from abroad, you know, because it's different when you, okay, you have a publisher in Krakow, the same city. Doesn't sound so fancy, right? <laughs> But when you have a international publisher believing in your product, you know, in your project, that's, you know, that's an amazing feeling. Sure. Is it, but is it uh, more difficult uh, because they're abroad? Doesn't matter. It doesn't affect uh, our contacts in any way, especially that shortly after we started the company, the whole world went into lockdown, right? Yeah. And into working online. So definitely matter if you're in Krakow or in Malmo, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. How are they uh, supporting you? Are they a big help? Yeah, of course. Like I said, the first, the first part was the, you know, they believed in us, which also gave us confidence that maybe this project you know, can actually make some money and not just be our uh, pet project that we release and forget about and like, you know, because <laughs> uh, the big plan was always to make a game, release it and survive, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, the very important support was financial support because they have financed uh, all the development, you know? We haven't had any uh, resources at the beginning on our end. So Nothing. Without nothing, yeah. So we, you know, And of course, they are supporting us with, you know, PR, with the marketing, uh, with, you know, contacts. They got us, you know, uh, dev kits, right? They, you know, they keep contact with uh, platforms like uh, they talked with Nintendo and got us featured on the Nintendo channel, you know, for our announcement trailer. So, well, yeah. So there's a lot of that the publisher does. Uh, that you know you wouldn't be able to or would take a lot of time so especially when you're a small team i wouldn't recommend trying to do it on your own when you're a small indie team you know okay so always look for a publisher yeah that would be my uh, kind of uh, advice you know mm -hmm. and also also it's a first test if you are if you cannot find a publisher for your project then maybe you either have to improve your project Or maybe you have to try a different idea, right? Oh, okay. Of course, it's not, you know, 100% of the time. But if, you know, the publishers are like, okay, you know, I, I would like to uh, publish your game, then you, this is the first uh, indication that your project actually makes sense financially as well. Yeah, I see. Yeah, first, you also said that, um, well, you also contacted um, other publishers at first because uh, the, the the first one didn't respond. Um, but uh, if none of them would have um, contacted you again, then uh, you would have changed your project somehow. Yeah, it's possible. Like uh, probably would either change the project or try releasing it in some way, like maybe really actually release it on the mobile, you know, as a, some sort of free to play or something just to Uh, just to show it off, you know, in, in that form. Mm -hmm. yeah. But but uh, yeah, but currently uh, 
right now as a, already a company because it's different when you are just you know few guys who try different things in their basement right mm-hmm. and it's different when you're already running a business and people depend on you know on this business business surviving right sure so i would definitely if you know if i make a prototype of the game and i pitch it to the publishers and uh, everyone was like no you know i don't think this project is for us then i would probably uh, try with a different idea we also talked to some developers who well they were all happy with the publishers um, but they said it's always a risk that the publisher wants to take over the project and influence it in some way that the creators uh, don't actually want um, that they've got different ideas um, how is it now with your publisher do they leave you to your project can you be still creative yeah like uh The Zordics haven't, like, there was not a single time when they were said, like, okay, you know, guys, we want you to change this or that, you know? Okay. They were always giving us uh, a lot of freedom to do what we want, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's important that we uh, hit the milestones, like, like we, you know, um, if we agree that we want to make uh, five levels for, for the next milestone, you know, then it would be nice to actually hit those milestones, right? Okay, <laughs> Because, yep. Uh, But uh, they haven't interfered with our creative freedom at all, you know. They're always very supportive, you know. Of course, they gave us some feedback, and we always take this feedback into account. But there was never any uh, any time that they said, like, okay, you have to change this because we don't like it. Okay, yeah. But there are publishers out there who do that, right? Probably, yeah, probably. Uh, sometimes there are publishers who uh, are very in the development, It can be good and it can be bad, you know, because sometimes it's actually good when the publisher gives you uh, some, extra, I would say maybe they're trying to help you improve your game, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes, of course, it can be bad and it can be, you know, so I'm very happy with, you know, with how we uh, worked with, the, with Zordix and how we cooperated. But of course, it's important, it's important to talk with your publisher before you send a deal to like, okay, how do, how do you work? with your games, you know? Do you interfere a lot? Do you, it's very important to find a match, you know? Because it's easy to, to look at it and say like, okay, this publisher is evil because they interfere or something like this, you know? But have you actually asked them how they work, you know? <laughs> That's also important, you know? It's important to, it's with like, like with dating, right? <laughs> you know, not, not every cool person is perfect for you as your partner, right? So the same with publishers, you know, they can be cool publishers who will work out great for this company, but very badly for other company. So it's important for both sides to, to get their uh, kind of expectations uh, heard. Okay. You know? Sure, you've, you've got to talk to them. Like everybody's got their expectations and um, you need to be on the same level. Exactly. Poland is known for its great support for the gaming industry. Is it really that great? <laughs> well, as an indie team, we haven't had any support from, you know, from our government. Maybe the only support I could say it was Polish was from the indie games, like Polish Indie Games Foundation because they got us uh, into the GDC last year. Ah, okay. Which haven't happened because of because of COVID. Oh, okay. <laughs> But actually, I had a ticket to go to US last year and to go to GDC, which was very cool. But apart from this foundation, we haven't had any support from the government. I think uh, that 
there is a lot of like programs and we even applied for one, but they're mostly uh, taken by the big PR companies because to get into those programs, there's a lot of bureaucracy. You have to write like a lot of documents, a lot of like uh, very uh, complex plans. Like it's very hard to write it properly and to convince <laughs> those juries that your game should get this funding, right? For example. So like companies that are like, you know, double A companies that have like, you know, over hundred people, they very often uh, hire specialists just for creating those programs for them, like for helping them getting those programs. Crazy. So okay. usually it's, yeah, it's the same companies getting the funding each year. And it's very hard to get this as an indie team of three people, you know. So there's no focus yet in Poland for indie companies. Yeah, definitely. Like the the hard part is that, you know, indie is a word that is sometimes associated with teams of three guys working from the basement and teams of 100 people making, you know, <laughs> double A games, right? So, so yeah, so definitely it's not it's not easy to get this help as a small team. But at least there is this funding um, uh, company uh, who got you to the States. But the GDC, um, it's still, there, there's still an online event happening or happened last year, right? I think last year nothing happened, at least at the beginning, maybe something on the... But there's a lot of events happening online that you can be a part of to like pitch your game to the publishers. I would definitely... Uh, recommend trying this as an indie team. That's how we got in contact with Zordix, you know, that's how, how Axel found us, was through an online event. Okay. So are you getting enough support at the moment? Are you happy? Yeah, like uh, like I said, we, not from, from the government, right? But we, we have support from our publisher and we have also uh, found our, like an investor who supports us as well. So that's why, you know, we are happy. We are, you know, we are doing well. And I feel like blessed, you know, I think we, we are really lucky because we launched our company just before all the craziness happened. And it was actually easy for us to work from home. You know, we, we haven't had any problems. There was like just three of us at that time. So we could just work from home and there was no problem. So I feel really, really lucky, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. Cool. So, um, you're safe there. <laughs> so. You're right in the middle now, still developing the Lightbringer. Uh, but did you already set some goals? Like, um, how many sold copies of the Lightbringer would make you happy? <laughs> yeah, of course, we had we had those goals from the beginning, right? Okay. Uh, so, like, like I mentioned, for us, the our measure of success was if we make a game, and we have money to make another game, then we are perfectly happy, right? Okay. Yeah. So. The goal that we had, like our inside goal, is was like, it's not a very big. If we sell like forty thousand uh, copies, then I'll be happy. You know, that would be like, we're good. If we sell one hundred thousand, we'll be like, wow, we are so successful. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> so we are kind of modest. We are not, you know, aiming to sell a million copies of our game. You know, we are kind of realists. But we have also always planned that if we you no, know, if we don't sold a single copy, we will still survive. And that was that was you know what we always dreamed of, and what like working with from the publisher and now investor gave us that you know we are already safe even if we 
dans la salle à Ah, ok, that's really good. Yeah, that puts some pressure off. Yeah, definitely. So you don't have any pressure. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, I know you're still like your mind is probably totally into the light bringer at the moment, of of course. But um, are you already having some ideas for the next project? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, so many. Yeah. This is. <laughs> yeah, we are. You know, like I like I mentioned, we love making games. You know, mm -hmm. so we constantly have new ideas for both for the Lightbringer, but also for new projects. You know, so we actually even had one prototype uh, already last year made of a boomer shooter which was like uh, very inspired by old school fps games you know Ooh, nice <laughs> yes yeah, so it's like you know very popular now with you know old school fan of games like doom so we have like very fast-paced fps games but since then we have already had a lot of different ideas and we you know so we have ideas like from uh, lightbringer 2 or like you know a bigger new open world game to like FPS or tactical games. We have a lot of ideas in our mind. So that's definitely not a problem. But <laughs> of course, first we have to finish the Lightbringer. <laughs> sure, but that's not a problem. It's always good to have some new ideas and uh, just write them all down and then get to it uh, after it. Yeah, we have a Google Drive where we have like 20 different designs already <laughs> just waiting for us to, to have time for them, you know? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> So this, um, what was it called? This boomer shooter? Yeah, boomer shooter is like a, the, the name of the kind of a new, I would say maybe new, like a genre popping up. Ah, okay. That's heavily inspired by uh, games like Doom, uh, Duke Nukem, etc. So it's like a, a bit of a modern take on old school FPS games. So you had uh, games like Produce uh, or, yeah. Okay. Which, which came out recently. And you said there's like a prototype already uh, going around? Yeah, the, we made a prototype. Uh, it wasn't like that great. So we have shelved it for now. We want to, we feel we have to improve it. So, so you can't play it anywhere uh, now? <laughs> no, no. But, but for you, Sarah, I will maybe, you know, <laughs> I will dig it up for you. <laughs> oh, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be really nice. Take a peek. <laughs> Um, the cool thing is you, you already, uh, said a few, um, you already had a few advice for, um, indie developers who want to start a business in Poland. Um, so you said, uh, don't create a company before you don't have a publisher, right? Yeah. That's sort of the first thing. And, uh, do you have any other do's and don'ts? Yeah, I would say, don't be afraid to show off your work. So either be a part of community and, you know, go on Reddit, go on Twitter and share your work or even build a community around what you do, you know, try posting stuff on YouTube, TikTok, you know, Reddit, because it will give you a lot of support. You might think, oh no, you know, what I made is bad, you know, it's ugly, it's something, but you will, you will be surprised how, how much support you will get from other developers uh, similar to yourself, you know? Okay, nice. So that's um, like a community of developers, kind of. Yeah, and it gives you a lot of exposure. Like after we have started, you know, posting stuff about Lightbringer, you know, posting gameplays, 
we have started, you know, getting emails from the publishers who are like, oh, do you already have a publisher for this game? Oh, really? <laughs> so also, okay. yeah, so it might be interesting. But there you already had the publisher, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So okay. we are looking, but it showed us, okay, you know, it's it's a great idea to to post stuff online, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sure. To get some feedback and uh, to see if, um, yeah, people like what they see and uh, yeah, to to, uh, to start the hype, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, so that, that would be my first advice for for indie. Also, like, uh, go to game jams, you know, take part in game jams, uh, make games. You know, that's the most important. Yeah, one uh, one developer we had here on the show, um, like the German developer, he also said uh, game jams are the most fascinating thing and um, you got to do them, definitely. And, and you're saying the same. Yeah, definitely. That's a great idea as well, you know. And just keep making stuff and also start small. So... Try making a very small game that you can finish in a week at the beginning, you know, then make uh, 10 of them and you will see that you will improve very quickly, you know. Ah, okay. First, uh, you got to practice. Exactly. Okay. And then get a publisher and start a business. Exactly, yeah. With the amount of tips Janusz gave to us, we could develop our own indie game now. <laughs> Definitely. But I would probably play games all the time instead of developing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Uh, that's why we're really excited to play the final version of the Lightbringer, which will come out sometime this year. Yeah, our release for the next episode of Open Indie um, is also coming up, also definitely sometime this year. <laughs> and a small heads up uh, to all of you who already visited our website and uh, heard a previous podcast of ours or started listening to it. They are only available in German, but we're working on an English translation right now. So stay tuned for that yes. as well. Yes, these are coming up. Yeah. See you then. Mm -hmm.